All right, if you take your Bibles and make your way, where do you think we're going this morning, church? Colossians. Colossians chapter 4, we're in the last chapter, and actually Paul is starting to, you can really sense the transition he's making to a conclusion. Uh, but oh, what he, what he does with this transition. I want to share with you this morning seven truths about sharing the gospel. So as we re review a little bit here about Paul's letter to the Colossians, a couple of things. Number one, he did not start this church, which was rare. Uh, a lot of the churches he writes to, he started. He didn't start this church. Best as we know, a guy named Epaphras, who happened to be with him as Paul was under house arrest in chains for the gospel, which we're going to hear this morning. Epaphras came to visit to give Paul a report of what was going on. There were some issues in the church. Uh, it's come to be known in modern times as the Colossian heresy. So there were some people who had gotten into that church that were teaching some things that were not what Paul taught and were not the gospel. They were adding to the gospel. Um, they were adding legalism to the gospel. They were adding something called asceticism to the gospel, taste not, touch not, um, all these extra rules. They were adding these weird experiences um, that you had to have these experiences. Yeah, Jesus is great and you start with him, but you got to have all these experiences and you actually have to go through angels and have these experiences to ultimately get to God. Um, and, and we think that's weird. It's still, it's still around today. That was the beginnings of first century Gnosticism. So all of these, Paul, Paul attacks these, these heresies right out of the gate by exalting the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he makes that abundantly clear in chapters 1 and 2. Chapters, in chapter number 3, he shifts a gear and says, here's what this should look like. In, in your everyday life at home. Here's what we need to realize that we have through our salvation in Christ. And here's how it needs to impact us in our everyday lives. And he talked about the new you at home. And he talked to wives. He talked to husbands. Talked to children. Talked to fathers. And he talked to employers and employees. Kind of covered the whole gamut of our lives, right? He said, this is what it looks like to live the gospel in your context. Now we come to chapter 4 and verse number 2. And we're going to see here in verse number 2 that Paul again is going to make a transition via a request. So let's, let's look there together and we're going to read it together. Um, in starting in verse number 2 it says this, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it, with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I might make it manifest as I ought to speak. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Isn't it interesting that as Paul begins to wrap up his very passionate letter, 
And, and we've seen over the months that we've been in Colossians how Paul just has attacked and undone every single lie that these false teachers have brought in. Here's the danger in that. As these Colossians are corrected by this great apostle, the danger is that they would turn on those people, right, and really let them have it. And Paul is going to remind them that there's a way to approach this that uh, is honoring to God. And he's going to use his own example. And he shifts a gear, and in this shifting, he really starts, he, he, he gives us uh, some truths about sharing the gospel, which is what landed him in prison and chains. Why would that be important? Because what false teachers need, and don't miss this point, church, what false teachers need, what people who are believing things about the gospel that are not true or are inaccurate, you know what they need more than anything? They need the truth. Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth for what? Set you free. This is what they need. And so Paul is going to remind them, here's your approach. Here's how you deal with these folks. You give them the truth. Verses 3 and 4 are tied to verse number 2. Um, as are verses 5 and 6 as Paul culminates this vital truth. And here's the reality. <coughs> and I don't think we believe this anymore. But how many of us realize, do we realize that telling people about Christ is a privilege? Do we really believe that, though? Telling people about the Lord, about the gospel, what a, what a privilege that is. Do you all remember in Mark chapter 3, verse 12, where Jesus... Uh, heals the demon-possessed man, and what does he tell him? What does he say to him? Yeah, don't tell anybody. You keep this, don't tell anyone what happened. Can you imagine? This guy has just been, I mean, what is he supposed to say? <laughs> he, he's the crazy man in town, and all of a sudden he's clothed in his right mind, and Jesus says, don't tell anybody. How frustrating. What if he had said that to us? What if he said, I have died in your place. I was buried. I was resurrected. And I have applied that to your account. You were dead in your sins. Now you're alive with me. But don't tell anybody. I'm afraid that if he said to us, don't tell anybody, that'd be the first time some of us would finally be obedient. And that's sad. What a blessing. What a blessing that God has told us to go and tell. It's a command to be obeyed, yes, but it is a privilege to be enjoyed. Do you enjoy it? If you enjoy it, you do it. Uh, my son Ben here, as the whole world knows, was gifted a fishing boat recently. And Tom can attest, because it's parked at Tom's house uh, on the water, that uh, Ben likes to fish regularly, and he likes to tell everybody about it, which is good. Right? He's even started his own YouTube channel for his fishing adventures, uh, thanks to his older brother. Um, when you enjoy something, you, you want to do it regularly, right? And, and you want to tell people about it. I can't wait. When I drop him off fishing and come back a few hours and pick him up, I can't wait for the, I know there are going to be stories. Um, and there's going to be pictures. And now that his brother got him that GoPro, there's going to be video evidence of, of, of these pictures. Uh, you, what you enjoy, you want to share with people. 
And did not the Lord commission us? He even commissioned us to go and tell, didn't he? Acts 1.8. Therefore, you're going to be my, what's that word? Wit what is a witness? Somebody tell me, what's a witness? Something that saw something. So before Ben got his GoPro, he and I go out fishing, you know, and one of us would catch a big fish and we'd get home. And of course, he's going to tell Sam about it. And Sam doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe Ben. And Ben says, Dad, come here, tell Sam. What am I? I'm a witness. I say, no, Sam, I was actually there. I saw it. He did catch that fish. And it was that big. <laughs> right? We're a witness. I'm saying, look, I was there with him. I saw this. We're, we're to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to where? The uttermost parts. Of, that's why I love the Gideons. They don't, they don't believe that's an analogy. They actually do it. They're witnesses right here at home. They're witnesses in the surrounding community. They're witnesses to the country, but they're also witnesses in the entire world. God has commissioned us to do that. So let me, let me go. You should have an outline there. Let me just walk through what it's just, it just falls right out of the text today. And I like that kind of preaching, and I hope you do too. You don't need my ideas. Lord knows you don't need my ideas. You need what God says. So the outline today will fall right out of the text of God's word. So the first thing that I want you to see, number one, the first truth about witnessing is that witnessing begins with prayer. Witnessing begins with prayer. Look at verse 2. Continue earnestly in what? Prayer. Being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And meanwhile, here it is again, praying also for us that God would open a door to the word. It begins with prayer. And it's vital. Why do, you, why do you think Paul says that? Why does he say, continue earnestly in prayer, that God would open this door, that we could speak forth this mystery of Christ as, as it's worthy of being, being shared? Think with me. Think with me for a minute. Why would, why would Paul say to pray when it comes to sharing the gospel? What's that, Jay? Yes, exactly. We, what do we, we pray about things that we can't control, don't we? Salvation is a work that only God can control. Salvation is a thing that only God can do. In prayer, in prayer, we talk to God about lost people. And in witnessing, we talk to lost people about God. And brothers and sisters, that order is very important. Do you realize that? Why, does it, why is it important? D.L. Moody, the great D.L. Moody, he said this. He said, I must always speak first to God about lost people before I speak to lost people about God. Do we believe that this morning? I love what D.L. Moody said. I, I better speak to God first about people who don't know Jesus before I speak to people who don't know Jesus about God. It's so vital. And that first, the Bible said, first you pray, then you witness. And just what Jay said back there, it, it, it's an acknowledgement. Listen to me, and I don't know that we understand it, that only God can save. Do you all realize that this morning? Only God can save. And it doesn't ultimately rest on you or me. And how many of you are thankful for that? But it, listen, oh, listen to this. It rests on a powerful, sovereign, omnipotent God. What, what a great truth this is. When we pray for our witnessing, 
endeavors and those of our brothers and sisters around the world. You know what it does? We're reminding ourselves that only God opens blinded eyes. Only God opens deaf ears. And only God can call to life a dead spirit that is dead and trespasses and sins. And place that dead spirit into Christ. Crucify it on the cross. Bury it and, and, and raise it again to new life. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. And that word, it means new of a different kind. Not a remade or, or, or souped up or cleaned up, but a brand new person. Prayer recognizes that in salvation, it is God who must convict. It is God who must call. And it is God who must convert if sinners are going to be saved. Listen, God's got to do the convicting. I think sometimes... I think sometimes we think we're the Holy Spirit, right? And, and we got to convict people. No, we don't. We just got to open our mouth. And God does the convicting. Amen? And then when God convicts, He calls. And when God calls, He converts these sinners. What a, what a beautiful truth this is. Praying is also a reminder. This is so important. And we need to believe this. And we need to, we need to preach this to ourselves often is, is this, this point right here, that God can overcome all human resistance in response to our prayers. Do you believe that? How many of you can right now think of one person, be honest, someone that you know and you think, there's no way that person's ever getting saved. There's no way that person's ever going to repent of their sins and, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. No way. Some of these other people may be not that person. You all know people like that? Listen, Pray. Pray. Say, God, I love how Brother Hayward Mackey used to say this. He said, pray that God will override their will. Do y'all believe that God can do that? Yes. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. If God couldn't override a will, you wouldn't be saved today. I'm just telling you the truth. I am so glad that God overrode my, my fallen, stubborn, wicked will. And he, and, and he stood at the door and knocked, and then he kicked it down. And he said, you're mine and I'm yours. Praise God. He, over, he overran my will and I needed it. I want you to notice too here what it says. It says continue how in prayer? Continue what? Earnestly. Continue earnestly. And then look at this, Being vigilant in it. What does that mean to continue earnestly? It means to be persistent in it. It means to hold steadfast, to don't give up, to endure in that praying. How many of you have ever prayed for somebody for a long time before they came to Christ? Oh man, I'm telling you, there's stories in that. We don't need to give up because God is able. And we must preach this truth to ourselves. And then notice it says that we're to do it with thankfulness. Did you all see that there? Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it, don't quit. Long time praying, trusting that God is able to do what only God can do. But he says, but do it with thanksgiving. Why, what's that thanksgiving got to do with this prayer for the lost? What, why would we be thankful? They're not saved yet. Yes, well, that's one. It's, it's right. It's trusting. We're thanking God that, first of all, this is a work that only God can do. But we're also thanking God that as we pray for this impossible person, that nobody is outside the reach of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, can we not be thankful for that? I think we need to pray seeing those people coming into the kingdom. 
because he, he is able. Oh, and that this atonement has been offered and accepted. We are thankful. We are thankful because this door is being opened for the gospel. So here's that, that reality is that witnessing begins on our knees. And I think if we would spend a lot more time on our knees before our witnessing, we'd see a lot more fruit. What did Paul say in Romans 10.1? He said, man, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they would be what? Saved. He prayed. He prayed for them. Ephesians 6.19, Paul asked the church to pray for him to have this boldness in sharing the gospel. And that blows me away. Paul, the apostle, saying, pray for me that I might have boldness. I think he's probably the boldest guy that ever walked the face of the earth. And he's praying for telling them, you pray for me that I would have boldness. I don't know what to do with that. But here's the reality. Hang with this. If Paul needed boldness, what about you and I? Oh, my word. If Paul needed for us to pray for boldness, how much more do I need boldness? How much more do you need boldness? We need to pray that God would wake us up and that we would be bold as we share the gospel. Witnessing, our witnessing, our sharing the gospel, listen, it is empowered by prayer. Charles Spurgeon was, once gave a man a, a tour of the Metropolitan Tabernacle where he preached. And he, and he was showing the man around the, the church and he said, would you like to see the boiler room of this ministry? The guy said, sure. So he took him down to the basement. There was a large room in the basement. And he said, this is what fuels the ministry. He said, because while I am upstairs preaching on Sunday morning, there are 300 men on their knees and on their faces before God praying for the conversion of the lost as I preach the gospel. He said, that's the secret of this ministry. People prayed for the witnessing efforts that was going on upstairs. So, so let me just bring, <clears throat> bring this down to today. And it, it's simple. Do you have a list of people that you're praying for right now for their salvation? Do you? I've got a little app on my phone. And uh, it sends me daily reminders of people that I'm praying for for their salvation. Do we have that? Are we, when I say that right now, who are you praying for that they would come to faith in Christ? You should have pictures of those people coming to your mind. And then we need to be praying that God would provide those opportunities. So that's the first thing is that, is that our witnessing needs to be empowered by prayer. Here's the second one. Our witnessing requires open doors. Open door. Look what Paul says. He said, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. You know what doors are? Doors are access. You know how you came into church this morning? Through a door. You open the door and in you came. It is a means of of approach, an opening through which a believer goes to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ through the Word of God. Paul said, pray for an open door. And here's the reality. The doorknob is only on one side of that door. God has to open the door, but we need to open our eyes to see when God 
has opened that door. And that's my fear today. I think God is, listen, listen to me, I think God is opening gospel opportunities for, for me every single day, and I don't see half of them. Would you agree with me? We, we, need to, we need to ask for open doors and open eyes to go along with those doors. Lord, show me. Make me alert. And I wonder how many, how many doors did God open for us last week and we never walked through them. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16.9, he said, A wide door has opened for me, but then he added this, and there are many adversaries. <laughs> how many of you know that uh, when, when God opens a door... You aren't the only person that shows up. When, when, when those Gideons go to pass out those testaments, they're not the only one to show up on that campus. The enemy is right behind them and sometimes in front of them. Many adversaries. But oh, let me tell you something. No matter how many people, principalities, and powers are trying to shut those doors, listen to me, when God opens a door, there's nobody going to close it. Amen? And Paul said, pray for us. There's a lot of adversaries, but pray that God will open this door and that we'll be wise to walk through it. Here's a third truth about witnessing. Witnessing, can't get around it, it demands speaking up. Witnessing demands that we speak up, that we find our voice. And then Paul says that right there in verse number 3. He says, praying that God would open a door for us, look at this, to speak the mystery of Christ. That's an interesting phrase there, isn't it? So what we're supposed to do with this open door, the way we walk through this open door is we open our mouth and we speak, but we speak something specific, the mystery of Christ. Now, what is a mystery? What does Paul mean when he says the mystery of Christ? Well, we understand that a mystery is something that was hidden, but now is revealed. We sometimes call that in the church progressive revelation. But that mystery is simply speaking forth the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Do we believe that? The church has lost its voice. I mean, I was talking with a brother this week. And he was saying to me, you know, if, if, you, if you go out to a new restaurant in town and you get a phenomenal meal. I mean, the food is way above average. What do you do? That's exactly right, Linda. You tell people. Matter of fact, most of you, before you even leave the restaurant, you get on Facebook. You take a picture of your food so the rest of us can be jealous. Right? And you say, you all have got to come here. This food is amazing. Right? You tell people. Why do we do that? Why do we tell people when we find something that's great? To share the good news, right? We, want, we enjoyed it so much, what? We want other people to enjoy it. Y'all know what the word gospel means? <laughs> what does it mean, church? It means good news. If it's such good news, why aren't we sharing it? We got to speak. We got to use our voice and find our voice. I fear that today we have more of a religious tradition than a righteous transformation in the church today. We got a lot of religion, but not a lot of righteousness. We need to be transformed, and our tongues need to be loosened. Listen, the early church didn't, need, didn't have any programs. They had nothing. They didn't even... <laughs> early church didn't even have a building. They borrowed buildings, and when they got kicked out of those, they met in homes, or they met on the side of a river, or 
on the side of a hill. They were constantly on the run. But man, have you ever read the history of the early church in this book? God moved. The early church was powerful. Principalities fell. Blinders came off. Paul turned whole cities upside down with a small band of people. Less than what's in this room today. So much so they caused a riot. And they just about killed them. You know what the power of the early church was? I really believe this. Listen. Jesus was always on their lips. They didn't have programs. They didn't have slick presentations. But they had the power of God because all they talked about was Jesus. What did Paul say? When I came to you... Listen, Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. That guy, had, that guy learned the... the, the the skill of, of oratory. What am I saying? He was a preacher's preacher. But he set all that aside. He said, I don't want, I'm not coming to you with all this background training. I came to you in simplicity, and I determined to only know this one thing. I preach Christ among you and Him crucified. That's it. That was the power of the early church is that Jesus Christ was constantly the only thing on their lips. And look what God did. Wes posted this recently on Facebook. He said this, The early church had nothing and yet possessed everything. The modern church has everything yet possesses nothing. Isn't that true? They had nothing and yet they possessed it all. And God did marvelous things. This church today, we got it all. But what do we really possess? Nothing. Listen, the early church wasn't so much concerned about the plan of salvation as the man of salvation. Jesus was on their list. We've lost that. We've lost Jesus in the midst of the plan of salvation. And we come up with these slick little terms and words. Just bow your head and say this prayer. We're going to get you wet and you're good to go. And we put another number on our notch. And I'm going to tell you what, half of those people aren't even saved. It's not the plan of salvation. It's the man of salvation. Here's the fourth truth about witnessing. is It, it involves personal sacrifice. I mean, look at verse number 3. Paul doesn't lie about it. He says, pray that we have this open door to speak the mysteries of Christ, for which I am also in what? Chains. chains. I'm in chains. Let me tell you something right now. Paul did not get in trouble for promoting a religion. Paul didn't get in trouble for religion but for declaring the reign of King Jesus and his right to rule every man, woman, boy, and girl in the first century because of his death, burial, and resurrection. He laid out the truth of Jesus Christ and him crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended, and the fact that he has the right to rule and reign right now. Paul preached, not the kingdom is coming, the kingdom is here. You better get on the right side. He preached Jesus Christ, and guess what? That got him in a lot of trouble, didn't it? And that's why Paul, Paul was such a dangerous man to the Roman Empire. Because he was preaching a new king and a whole new kingdom. You know what Adrian Rogers said, the great Baptist, Southern Baptist preacher? Here's what Rogers said. So, he was so spot on. He said this, the problem with Christians is that nobody wants to kill them anymore. <laughs> problem with Christians is nobody wants to kill them anymore. We got to wake up. 
We have lost our boldness. We've lost our audacity. We've lost our voice. We used to be an exclamation point, but now we're just a question mark. And we wonder why the gospel doesn't go forward. Paul was brought forward on some crazy trumped-up charges that he brought a Gentile into the Jewish court of the temple. And uh, they got him arrested. And the real reason he was arrested is because he constantly, boldly preached the risen Christ as king. You don't preach that in the Roman Empire. Well, they were fixing to wear him out again. That man had been beaten so many times, left for dead. And finally he says, uh, before you do that, you might want to know something. I'm a Roman citizen. And the blood in the centurion's veins went cold. Why? <laughs> you don't beat a Roman citizen. Paul pulled, You know what amazed me about that? Why didn't Paul pull that? If it was this Paul, I'd be, I'd be wearing that citizenship thing like a badge. You better not mess with me. I'm a Roman citizen. He doesn't. He, let, he has been beaten numerous times, stoned and left for dead. But this time he pulls out the card and says, I'm a Roman citizen. And I appeal to Caesar. And so now he has been in chains for two years under house arrest. It costs us something. There's a price to pay. It involves personal sacrifice. But oh, is it worth it? Isn't it worth it, church? Yeah. How many of you are parents out there today? All right, Tom, you got some kids. Jay, you got some kids. Mom, you got some kids. Best one you ever made sitting right here in the pulpit today. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Let me ask you all something. Are kids expensive? Jonathan, yeah, kids, kids cost you something, and it isn't just money, is it? Don't raise your hand, but how many, how many of your kids have broken your heart? How many nights have you prayed for your kids through your tears? By the way, we need to have more of that, not less. Kids involve a personal sacrifice, don't they? So do our spiritual children. So do people who aren't in the family yet. Costs us something, but it's worth it. What did Jesus pay for you? Why are we not willing to pay that for others? Number five, this is so important. I think we forget this sometimes in our zeal, is that witnessing involves a godly wisdom. And see how this beautifully flows out of verse four. I'll back up a little bit. He says that, I, the, uh, that the, he would open this door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. Now look at verse 4. That I might make it manifest as I ought to speak. And then he says, and you walk in wisdom to those who are outside redeeming the time. Paul needed to know not only what to say, how to say it. How many, of you, how many of you know you could be right? And you can have the right thing to say, but there's a timing issue involved with that. That ever gotten you in trouble? It's not only knowing what to say, it's knowing how to say it and when to say it. That's wisdom. 
You know, knowledge is just knowing what to say. Understanding is knowing what to say and how to say it. Wisdom is knowing what to say, how to say it, and when to say it. Understanding that timing. And witnessing involves a godly wisdom. Do we ever think about how to leverage a conversation for the gospel? Do we? You know how many people God strategically plants in your life? I was, the other day I was, I was with somebody. I had met new, a new person. Never met this person before. And we were, we were just discussing small talk, just introducing ourselves. And this person began to share a horrible recent chapter in their life. It, it, it was wretched. And my heart just broke for this, this poor young lady. And I said, Lord, give me wisdom. Because I could have jumped in there and just, just destroyed her tender conscience. With the truth. But is there, is there a wise way to present this? And God says, she's just broken. Her sin has brought her to this place of deep brokenness. And in that, God show me the way to proceed. And it was a very gentle way. You know, the Bible said of Jesus, he was pretty tough on those religious folks, wasn't he? He didn't give them any quarter. But you know what? The people that were in their sin and knew it, he never, he never jumped on them. He jumped in front of them. Woman caught in adultery. You know what I always found interesting about that story? There actually was one. When Jesus writes in the sand and says, oh yeah, Whoever doesn't have sin among you you, 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 you throw that first stone. And by the way, these weren't stones like crush and run stone in a driveway. These were stones that were designed to cave in the human skull. And they had gathered a pile of them from what we can discern from the reading between the lines of that text. And they were fixing to bash her skull in. We don't know what Jesus wrote in that sand, but it must have been spicy. It must have been revelatory because he, he writes a little bit and he turns to that crowd and I'm sure he kind of moves off to the side and they're reading what he wrote. He goes, okay, any of you without sin, cast the first stone. What does the Bible say? This is interesting and significant. Starting from the oldest. In other words, the, the, the most wise among them, they dropped their stones and walked away until she is left with who? Was there someone there without sin that could have judged that woman? One. And listen to me. Instead, instead of picking up a stone, he picked up a cross. Instead of judging her and her sin, he volunteered to be judged for her and his sin to be born in himself on that cross and said to her, go and sin no more. That's wisdom. That is winsomeness in speaking the truth of life. And if you'll notice it, Jesus, Jesus didn't always present the gospel the same way, did he? Did Jesus treat everyone the same way? No, he didn't. To the religious people, he called them out. To the broken, he was gentle. And he called them too. God gives us just the right words for every specific conversation. That's why I love that Brother Jay Lordson in the back walked us through a, um, 
sharing Christ without fear. And it's just a series of questions you ask people. I wear this um, bracelet on my arm. I've had it on for several years. It's the three circles. It's my favorite way to share the gospel. But we need to know, we need that wisdom from God. That's what Paul says here, that we would walk in wisdom to those who are without. Here's the sixth one. Witnessing also demands godly living. Demands godly living. And that's what he says there. That we walk in wisdom to those who are without redeeming the time. A wise preacher once said that God has called us to be his witnesses, but we are required to supply part of the evidence. Think about that. God's called us to be his witnesses, but we are required to supply part of the evidence. We've got to have some authenticity, some integrity that give us a voice as we're witnessing to those who are outside. And that's interesting how he says that. That we would, we would walk in wisdom to those who are outside. Now don't miss it. Don't miss it. He's talking about these false teachers who are trying to disrupt and confuse and pervert the gospel. He says we need to walk in wisdom towards these people. They're outside of Christ. They're outside of the kingdom and they're outside of the camp. But we need to redeem the time. We, and that word literally means is to buy it all up, to seize the moment. Our living must be the foundation of our witnessing. What does your life say about your faith? I think a lot of times the reason we don't witness is because we know better how, how our lives actually are. If they knew the real me, I would have no platform to say anything. Amen? Y'all say amen or ouch. And here's the last one. Witnessing calls for gracious words, and I think sometimes we forget this. Look at verse number 6. Let your speech, how, how often, church? Always. It means all the time. Let your speech be uh, with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer one another. Always. How's your attitude? How do we talk? How, what's our speech like when we're sharing the gospel? What does it mean to have speech always being spoken with grace? What do graceful words look like? What would be the opposite of graceful words? Grace-filled words. Let me put, use that word. Harsh. Y'all ever, ever spoken or received a harsh word? Let me just ask you this. What does that do to your spirit? It closes the spirit, doesn't it? Harsh words, Solomon said, stir up strife. Grievous words stir up strife. But a soft answer turns away wrath. You, you hear it? How many times, mom and dad, have we had that harsh word for our children? It closes the spirit. But a soft answer turns away wrath. Our, our speech must always be with grace. 
And you know that, that word grace, I think we always, us, us good scholars and Christians that have been in church a long time, I know how you hear that, same way I do. We hear that word grace as unearned favor of God, and that's true, right? But you know there's a secondary uh, definition there that's built right into that. It's, it's the idea of that unearned favor of God is also empowering. There's a power in standing in that freedom with God. Amen? There's, there's a strength that flows through us when we embrace and realize the grace that God has had towards us, and then we extend that to other people. So it's a powerful way to speak. And then notice it says seasoned with salt. Now, now that doesn't mean here salt to rub in the wound to make it sting. No, I think that's preservation. That's to get, make it tasteful. Uh, how many of you ever had something bland and a little salt fixes it? Or in my father's case, a lot of salt. <laughs> my, dad, my dad was a salty guy in more ways than one. It means to flavor the conversation. And here's what it does. It creates a thirst for the gospel. Proverbs 15.2 says, The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. Are our words opening people to the gospel or pushing them away? And Paul says here that we need to make sure that our words are are always with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how to answer one another. You know what I think happens so many times in our sharing the gospel with people? We're trying to win an argument. We're trying to say, I'm right and you're wrong. And, and very well, through the gospel, we are right. Amen? But that's not the goal. The goal is not to win that argument. Listen, the goal is to win the arguer. And, and are we understanding that? So that we might know how we ought to answer each one. Because I've seen this happen, and it's a sad thing on the face of the earth, when the gospel messenger is rejected before the gospel message can be heard. So we need to watch that. Don't be that person. Let me tell you something. The gospel message is offensive enough. Amen? You don't need to add to that offense. Let the gospel do the offending. And let us use words seasoned with salt. Seven truths that we need to make sure we're putting in play. When dealing with people who might be sitting next to you in the church, but are not in Christ, so that we can share the gospel with clarity and conviction and passion. Now what is that gospel? Just as Jesus preached it in the Gospel of Mark, the kingdom of God is here. It's a kingdom. It means there's a king. And the king is Jesus, and so make no bones about it. And kings demand to be obeyed. And the way we obey this king and his gospel is by turning from our sin, repenting of our sin, and grabbing a hold of Jesus, believing in His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension for us in our place. And my sins were placed into Jesus, and when Jesus died, my record died with Him. He paid the debt that I could not pay. And He paid it all, amen? Past, present, and future. And He was buried, and the third day He rose again. And as my sins were placed into Jesus, I was placed into Him, and I rose again the third day. A brand new creation in Christ. But here's the rest of the gospel that we have severed. 
as Jesus preached it in Mark. Because the kingdom is here, because the king died in your place, was buried and was resurrected and ascended, therefore follow him, and he will make you fishers of men. And I want to close with this reality. If you're not fishing, you're not following. Talk is cheap, folks. And there's a reason that God, that Jesus tells us real clearly and very uncomfortably this was his message to the religious elite. That when God pulls the plug on history and we're all standing before him, they're going to say, Lord, didn't we do all this stuff in your name? I mean, we heal people. We cast out demons in your name. And what does Jesus say? Depart from me. You, and this was a real slap in the face of the religious elite. You lawless ones. I never knew you. You need this Christ and you need this good news. And you need to employ these seven truths as we go out to share the gospel this week. And I want to give you a challenge in closing today. Every single person here. I want you to ask God to put one person in your path this week and you open your mouth. And I want you to start praying about it today. Matter of fact, I'm going to pray in just a minute. And, and I want you to do something unusual. I don't want you to listen to my prayer. I want you to pray your own prayer. And I want you to actually do this outline. I want you to do the book today by praying. I asked you all before, who are you praying for? Pray for those people. Pray for yourself that God will give you an open door for the gospel. God will put them in your life this week. That you could tell them the truth with winsome words and wisdom. Seasoned with salt, gracious words, grace-filled words. And ask for that opportunity. Ask for God to right now be working on their hearts. To override wills and objections. That you might be able to, to, to share the truth of the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ as our King. And that they might be invited to repent, believe, and follow Him for the rest of their life. How about we pray for that one opportunity this week? You believe God is strong enough? good enough, kind enough to answer that prayer? I think he is. You know what I think the problem is? I don't think the problem is the prayer. I don't think the problem is with God. I think the problem is we don't believe it. We just don't believe. Maybe we need to, as we're praying in a minute, pray that same prayer of that most honest man in the scriptures when he said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Maybe that's where we start today. So I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I want you to think of that person. Maybe you, maybe the, and here's how God does. You're praying for one person. God's going to open up all these other doors. Don't worry about it. God's in control, not you. You walk through the door. Lord, open my eyes. I can see the doors I'm supposed to walk through. And let me share Christ this week with that person. Because I believe you can change lives through the gospel. You pray that as I pray. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we pray for these opportunities. More importantly, we pray for these people. Maybe this is one person you've put on our heart this week that we could share the gospel with. Pray that right now you would, because you like to work in advance, and we love that about you, <laughs> that right now you would begin to shuffle the pieces 
of tomorrow so that we would not only run into this person but have an opportunity to open our mouths and speak the good news. Just tell them our story of how Jesus changed our life and what an adventure it has been following him from that day to now. And I pray that you would prepare hearts as we seek your face in advance of these strategic open doors that you're going to open. And that as you open those doors, you would give us grace-filled words to speak. That they would be seasoned to make people thirsty for the good news. And that most importantly, you would be glorified. I pray that you would shake us up and wake us up and open our eyes to the many open doors that you've already prepared in advance so that we could walk through them. May we do that this week. And come next week rejoicing, bringing these people with us as we rejoice in the power of the gospel. And Lord, I know, even just looking around this room today, some of those people are in our own family. They live under our roof. Lord, may you open that door. May you be gracious. And may you call life where there is death. And bring it forth out of the grave just like you did, Jesus, with a commitment and desire to follow you. We ask in his name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Would you stand with me? And we're going to sing the doxology. And I'm going to invite Charles and Bonnie to join me out the front steps here in just a minute. And uh, we'll leave rejoicing. Amen? Amen. Let's sing together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Son and Holy Ghost. Amen. <coughs> Come here, Joey.